So hello everyone, welcome back to the Japan Archives episode 67 now. Technically Heather, episode 96. So huh? close to 100 now. Oh my gosh, that's that's incredible. So we have to think of something. I don't know, I feel like all the episodes we do are special because we pick them because we think they're interesting. So I don't know what we could pick for episode 100 that would be, you know much better than everything we've picked so far because I've loved every topic we've had so far. You got any ideas on something? If this was possible, like Ultimate Fantasy, to go to USJ and do a podcast from there, although I don't know what the history would be, but we could go and record on a roller coaster or something. So, you know. It's just like an hour of us screaming and, you know, the sound of us eating food and complaining about the long queues. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> but that won't work on multiple levels. Maybe we'll have a think. We can think of a topic that is very much quintessential Japan. Like if someone says Japan, that's something you instantly think about. Maybe. Maybe. As I get a couple. Mm. Now I get a couple of things I'm thinking. Oh, okay. You'll have to let me know later. But today, I know this was kind of your idea because we haven't done one in a long time. We've done a lot of Japanese. Shinto mythology, and we only did the one I knew so, so, so long ago now. Probably year one. Maybe. Maybe. So it's been like a year and a half since we did Ainu again. We really should do a mm -hmm. series on Ainu, their history, if we can. Ah, yes, we should. So I have another of the Ainu tales for us today. And this one is called The Song the Marsh Demon Sang. So we have a preface to start with from this book, which reads that this is a violent and exciting battle in which Okir Kimui is aided by Apahuchi, a major goddess who is in charge of fire and the hearth. As a side note, interestingly enough, Apahuchi, if you just take the Huchi, that is sometimes used as the name of the goddess of Mount Fuji. So there is a thought that the name of the goddess for Mount Fuji did actually come from Ainu word origins because uh, oh. she as well is said to have been like a fire goddess of some kind upon mm. Mount Fuji. What it also says here is the dead are associated with the hearth and because Epehuchi is also in charge of the fire and the hearth, she also controls the gateway between the living, the dead and the spirits. And has a many and has many profound roles that she can play. In this particular story, she seems to function as artillery support for Okir Kimui. And I think actually Okir Kimui was in the first one we did, the song that the Black Fox God sang. Mm. But it's been so long I can't really remember what he did. I'll I remember from that one there was a boat. The boat sunk, some people died. The fox was punished for I think the Black Fox caused the storm which made the boat sink, perhaps. And, oh, I remember now. And then he was killed and his skull was used as a latrine for the rest of time. Yes. The poor, poor fox. The poor fox. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that one. Right, <laughs> okay. It was a very strange, strange ending. Um, But yeah, let me delve into this one and we'll see where it goes. Because I also haven't read this one. So this is new for me as well. Oh, exciting. One day the weather was so nice that I poked just my eyes and mouth. Out from the marsh and from the direction of the beach, I found I could clearly hear human voices. 
I saw that two young men were coming. The one in front was like a hero, equipped with a hero's trappings. As beautiful as a god, but the one behind had an unpleasant look and an unhealthy face. Along they went talking between themselves, but as they passed in front of my marsh, just as they were right in front of me, the unpleasant one looked and stopped dead and held his nose. Ah, what a stink, what foul marsh, what revolting bog are we passing, how filthy. What could make such a horrible smell, he said. Just to hear this, I was so enraged, I hardly knew where I was. I leapt up from the mud, where I leapt, the ground cracked. The ground was torn apart, bearing my fangs, I plunged towards them. But the one in front saw me in time, turned around like a fish flipping over, ducked around the unhealthy looking one and got clean away. The other one lasted for a couple of seconds, but I caught up with him and swallowed him head first. So I chased the first man, which took every atom of strength I had, until we arrived at a human village, and a big one it was. And here, coming right at me, was old Grandma Fire, Apehuchi the hearth goddess in six red robes, tied up in a sash in six red robes, a coat, and a red cane she ran up to me, saying, What's this? What's this? What are you up to? Barging into a village, off you go, off you go. And she waved her red cane, her metal cane, and struck me with it, and flame shot up from it, and fell on me like rain. But I didn't care at all. Clashing my fangs, I continued my pursuit. I chased that man round and round the village in circles, where I ran, the earth cracked. The earth itself was torn apart, and the village fell into turmoil. Men pulled their wives along by the hand. Men pulled their children also. People cried and yelled and ran away, milling about like boiling water. But still, I didn't care at all. Raising a blizzard of earth, the old fire goddess rushed at me again, and terrible flames filled the air around me. And meanwhile, that man rushed into a house and rushed back out again. When I looked, I saw... He was fitting a little wormwood arrow to a little wormwood bow, and grinning wildly, he took aim at me, which I did find rather amusing. With a little arrow like that, how will he do any damage to me? I said this to myself, and clashing my fangs, I was about to swallow him head first, when he shot me through the throat. And from that point, I remember nothing. When I regained consciousness, I found myself between the ears of a great dragon. The villagers were gathered, and the one I had chased was giving orders in a loud voice. He ordered them to cut my corpse into shreds, to carry the remains away, and to burn them then into ashes, to take the ashes and scatter them amongst the mountain rocks. And it was then that I realized for the first time that this was no ordinary man. What I thought was an ordinary youth was actually Okir Kimui, a godlike hero. Because a terrible and evil god, a demon myself, had dwelt too near a human village. Okir Kimui, thinking of the good of the village, had punished me. He had tricked me into pursuing him and had killed me with his wormwood arrows. And then I realized that the man I had killed and swallowed the sickly man who I had thought was a human being was actually Okir Kimui's excrement. 
which he had formed into a man. And then he led me away, because I was an evil spirit. I had been taken to the awful land of hell. And in the world of humans, there was no longer any danger, no lurking threat. Although I had been a terrible demon, this cunning man, this single man, had managed to defeat me. And now I died a pointless death, a most horrible death. So said the marsh demon. Why always? Is, is this his thing? He likes to use poop in his exploits. <laughs> I mean, li limited tools at this time. They didn't have... Limited tools. You use what you have. But he formed it into human shape and then gave it life because it managed to speak. Like, he could have built it from the marsh itself, maybe? Or some sand on a, from a beach or some rocks straw. and soil from the village. There was... There was yeah, a little straw man, like, bring a scarecrow to life, maybe. Also, why would you realize in that instant that you had been eating that? Well, to be fair, it was in the, in the marsh. Marshes don't always have the best smell sometimes. Oh, uh, so he didn't realize because of the the smell of his own marsh. Maybe. Also, I feel that here. The marsh god was happily living in his marsh. He doesn't talk about how he attacked anyone. He wasn't a menace to anyone. But Okir Kimui had decided, I'm going to trick this guy into attacking a village so I have a reason to kill him. Unless there's another story which talks about something the Marsh God once did, this really implies that the Marsh God was just happy to live in his marsh until someone came along and was like, this marsh is disgusting. <laughs> it did say that it was too close to the human village, so they were thinking that he was probably going to do something bad. So, I mean, to be fair, he hadn't done anything until they provoked him and then he did do something so and also what came first the marsh or the village they chose to build the village there probably yeah it's like those people who buy a house next door to a pub and then make noise complaints it's like you know what you're getting into when you move there <laughs> no to be fair i mean if you live next to a pub you always have easy access to get a drink if you can drink and if you can't drink then Perhaps not the best place to be close by, but... Exactly. I really enjoyed the description of the fire goddess. Mm. Her red robes, her red sash, her red cane of metal that when you bash people on the head, rains fire down around them. I mean, that seems dangerous to do in a village, just start raining fire everywhere, but... Yeah, I, like, I would like a story with her. Like, is there a story for her? We should, we should look that up and find it. Let me see if there's one in the book I have. Well, at least in the book I've been using for this tale and the one before, it doesn't mention a Ainu tale about the, the sun goddess. But I mean, if I feel that there would be one, it seems like the Ainu, they tell all of their beliefs through song. So there must be other songs, but like, I think we talked about... I think our last episode was a little bit longer because we were introducing the woman who wrote all these stories. And obviously she was she was recording and writing a lot of these down from memory that she heard from her family. So mm. there may have been loads of other stories that she never heard or mm. that were never written down and maybe they were lost, which was a shame. But I do hope there is something there. I'm very intrigued to learn more about the sun goddess. What was her name? 
something hoochie. Uh, ape hoochie. Yeah. I feel like for the, the hero, too, we need to look into him as well to find out methods. And there might be some more information about him, too. Well, this book also seems to have two songs by him. Oh, okay. A song, well, it's Pon Okir Kimui. I wonder if that's the same person or maybe a son of his. Let's see. Ah, it's a, there are two songs by Pon Okir Kimui, and Pon means small in Ainu. So ah. these are two songs by Okir Kimui when he was a child. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there's two of them in this book. So the next time we do an Ainu one, we could do both songs to explore his childhood a bit more and see what he did. That would be interesting. It might give us a better understanding of, well, it'd be nice to see his origins, maybe? Because he is, he is one of the Kamui, which is like a, I don't know. From my understanding, it's, it's not a god, but it's more than human, like a powerful being kind of mm. thing. Demigod might be a good choice of word in English, maybe, but definitely someone of with like supernatural capabilities. I'm gonna say similar to um, Hercules. Yeah, he was half god, right? Mm, son of um, Zeus. Oh, and thank you. He's like not Odin. Oh my god. Yeah, but he Odin. I know. No, I told Hercules you. was was fully a god. It was Zeus and Hera. I'm basing it off. I'm basing it off Disney here. So help me out, Heather. He was the son of Zeus and Hera. And then they were stolen away by those little gremlins. And he drank some milk and became human. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Wikipedia in it. And it's the, it says, uh, mortal Alcmene. Alcmene? I love how we always get distracted in our episodes. But it's relevant, kind of. So yeah, there is the short story of the Song of the Marsh God. I enjoyed that. I well, it's it's unique. It's different. It's definitely different from what we've had before. So it's nice to nice to listen to it. It's definitely got some unusual aspects to it. But mm. I mean, do you think it's strange that Okir Kimui he waited for the marsh demon to attack the village, almost as if to give him a reason to kill him. Because I know, like it said in here, oh, they thought he might have done something, but they didn't. He didn't actually attack and kill him until he attacked the village. Like he almost he tricked him into. He's like, ah, now I have a reason to kill you, even though he made him do it by insulting him. I feel like we're gonna get into cycle aside, nice cycle, philosophical discussion. <laughs> Is that premeditated murder here at this point? There's, there's also the, the the argument that could be made that the Marsh God could have chosen not to destroy the village, so he was given an, an opportunity, and then took the destruction route. Could not have taken the destruction route. So at, at one point, you know, perhaps not causing the giving the opportunity for the Marsh God to create destruction would have been wiser choice but then once it set events in motion that the, the marsh demon could have chosen to not destroy the village but then ended up destroying the village proving that they that you know giving them a, a proof in their mind that, that okay we yes we have to destroy the marsh god because they were going to do something at some point anyway but again putting the marsh god in that situation in the first place that's all of it's not great in summary 
don't overanalyze tales like this because they really do fall apart a little bit. But it was still interesting nonetheless. I think probably, I wonder what the setting is to tell these stories. I guess it's like an oral history. Is it around a, like a fire? Is it in the dark? Is it at night? Is it daytime? Is it at breakfast? So perhaps some of the the stories like the settings that they're in also influence you know, if you're sitting at your grandparents' knees or something and listening to these stories or, you know, village elder who tells it in a certain way. So we should we should look into that too to see how how they presented these these kinds of stories. Yeah, and we definitely need to look into the Ainu in general of the people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I just enjoy we we, we got to some um philosophical ideas in this mm. But I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad we managed to pick it apart a little bit. Uh, we saw some new Ainu stuff that we haven't before. But yes, now over to you, Heather. What is today? Today we have a basho. Ooh. It's, he's a shibari basho. I have maybe mild confession to make that was doing some research for a poem to try to figure out what I wanted to do this week because I felt like I didn't have enough time. I wanted to find something I knew related, but I just, I did not have enough time to do proper research into it. So I was talking to the professor and he said, oh, what about this poem? And I was like, sold. I'm doing it. That's great. Plus it also, my, not really mildly themed, but sort of mildly themed, which, mm. um, once I say it, you'll kind of see why it's. I, I did actually kind of pick that one too. But yeah, Bashol, and we've talked about Bashol lots and lots and lots, and we need to talk more about Bashol because we want to do like his his journeys as well. We need to do more of those. So I won't go into too much more Bashol, but you can see a lot on the the History of Japan website. There's a ton of stuff there. Plus, you can listen to our older recordings if you want more about Bashol. But here is the poem for today. Are you ready? No, because the postman is here. One second. Let me answer the door. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. So I am ready. Okay. I'm not ready. Let me get a pen. Kochira muke, warimo sabishiki, aki no kure. Sabishi is like a good feeling, no? Sabishi? Hmm. That's a no. That's a no from Heather here. Well, I mean, it it depends on if you are an introvert or an extrovert. Oh, okay. I guess. I mean, to to make to give you like maybe more pause. So I tried. <laughs> uh, the first bit, kochira, like mm. here. Yeah. This last one, aki no kure, something about autumn, aki. Yes, definitely. You've got the fall in there. Autumn. I feel like I know what Mukke is, but right now I'm drawing a blank. Some it's something about autumn. It is indeed. Mm. So you've got you've got that. And this is a this is the translation from the professor, so I don't have a official translation. But what he said mm. was look at me. I am lonely too. Autumn is ending. So this is how I interpret this poem. Someone is talking to the trees, because the trees are sad and feeling lonely because all their leaves are gone. So he's saying, yes, autumn is ending, but you're not the only ones who are lonely. I am lonely also. Ooh, okay. I like your translation. 
so I didn't get an exact meaning, but what the professor told me was that this poem could be symbolic of end of life for like older people. It implies like two older people who are talking because like autumn ending is closer to, you know, like dying and death. Mm. But I like the way you interpreted that with looking at the trees and the the leaves are all falling off and ah oh, that's that's true because the leaves once the, the leaves all fall off from trees they do look really sad and lonely and mm-hmm. barren so oh i'm gonna have to tell that to the professor and see what he thinks about that because i think i i like it it's great thank you but i i his uh, reasoning as well is interesting and mm-hmm. yeah, you can kind of see that like end of year winter is very symbolic of death and the end of things um so it's more talking about like two old people who are now alone like their partners have gone so they're both comforting each other saying like you're not the only one who's alone i'm lonely also uh perhaps because it comes from you know basho i mean he didn't have from what we've studied that he didn't have a significant other that we know of at least at this point point in time and if talking with another poet for example often sometimes creative types can well it seems the poets we've seen and we've studied i don't think we've have we run into anyone that's been married or had a partner or anything like that i don't recall that we have very much not that we've really talked about in the show, but I did do something on the website the other day. I worked on someone. He grew up. He went to Kyoto to study, to be a poet. He tried to go home. His parents died. His brother wouldn't give him his half of the estate. So he traveled around a lot and he was basically homeless and destitute until his brother recanted and gave him his half of the money. And then he returned to his hometown and had a wife and several kids. And he was a poet. Well, yeah, I cannot remember for the life of me who it is that I did recently. Uh, But thank you for the poem. That is really nice. And I'm glad that we had very two opposing interpretations for it. I love it. I, I think that's that. the that's the very that's the beauty of poetry. I think. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. But everyone, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed the new Ainu tale and the Basho poem. We are. We will surprise you with something for next week. We're still deciding what we will do. But until then, guys, that is everything from me. And also from me. All right, guys, speak to you later. Matane. Inisan, kyoskete, matane. Matane.